welcome to the 5v podcast. Today I'm joined by Vicky Bunyard. Uh, Vicky is the CTO for IBM Technology, Northern Europe. Vicky, thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you for having me. Very, very good to be here. You're very welcome. Appreciate it. Um, Vicky, so IBM, uh, massive company, been around for a very, very long time. A lot of people know of IBM. I'd be curious to kick off just a little bit about your background and uh, experience at IBM and, and how you got to this position. Yeah, and um, it's a long story. It feels like it's been a long time. But, um, yeah, I started out as a teeny tiny engineer in, in the UK working in uh, the defense industry and, and uh, in fact, working on sonar systems, which is really exciting stuff and, and very big projects and, and quite complex projects. And, um, and the interesting thing with that was, you know, I started out designing and, and what you started to realize when you're working in design is you hit all kinds of problems and, and you, you, you start to look at these problems and you start to think, okay, so why, why am I hitting these problems? And what you realize is, well, the problems aren't actually in the design. It's in the, it's a step back in, in what we were asked for. What, what did you ask us for? What, did, what was the question? And, and so what happened was I kind of, through the course of my career, kept kind of taking a step back and going, okay, but the problem that I'm trying to solve is not here. It's, it's, it's outside this space that I'm looking at. So I kind of kept taking a step, step back and taking a step up and, and got further and further to thinking about, okay, so what is your strategy for, for doing design? And what is your strategy for, um, technology and how are you thinking about you know okay I'm, I want to design this thing over here but where did that start from what was the original ask and as I was doing that I kind of got I got pulled into more consultancy roles because I you know I started to think about that and started to think about okay what are the right methods for doing this more effectively how do I make sure that I don't see problems in my design because I've done something upstream that that means that that the answer that I'm giving is not the right answer to the question that I was asked. And so I kind of went from engineering into consultancy and, um, and what you saw at that time was an increase in, in software coming into systems. So where before I was more looking at big, heavy industrial systems, I was getting more and more onto the software side and trying to understand, okay, same, same question, same problem, but for software, why is this not quite working the way that we expect? Did we ask the question in the right way? Are we actually designing for the problem that we're trying to solve? Um, and as I was going through that process, what I, what I started to get into was more and more around, okay, well, how do I use technology to help me think about technology and help me do the design of the technology and be more effective in, in what I'm trying to do? And so... That brought me more and more into the, the kind of the, the technology organizations and, and looking at how do I implement technology. And as part of that, I did much more learning around enterprise architecture because you also see the rise in IT systems and you see the importance of IT systems. And so I started to look more and more about enterprise architecture and, and taking the same thinking around the big heavy industrial systems to how do we apply those to the to the IT systems, so they're effective and they are integrated and they are 
answering the problem that you're trying to solve. Um, and so that gives you a very good, you, you get a very good view on strategy and you get a very good view on technology landscapes and how technology landscapes fit together. And I think that's a little bit where um, I kind of end up in, in IBM. And uh, I ended up in IBM via an acquisition of a small company that I was working for. And this was quite an interesting experience because I came from a very small company into a very big company. But I kind of came in and I looked around and I got very excited because I had every single possible type of technology that I could ever want in my big box of bits. And um, and, and is that, that is that quite daunting sometimes as well to have access to everything as, a, as opposed to being focused in one particular area? I love it. I mean, I absolutely love it because, and I think, you know, I've talked a little bit about, okay, I keep backing up to say, tell me what the problem is, because if I understand the problem, I can really understand what the right way to solve this is. And the bigger my box of technologies, the more capabilities I've got, the more chance I've got of actually solving the problem that I'm trying to solve. And, and so for me personally, I find that absolutely fantastic. And it's, it's really fundamental that everything to everything that drives me. And, and I think, you know, you, you, all, you, you have uh, technical people who are very, very deep and very, very focused and very, very, you know, and, and have this really very deep understanding of, of a particular part of technology. And that's fantastic. And we need those people. And, and you also have the kind of people who are, OK, I can see I can see this amazing, this huge picture and I can see how it all fits together. And, and we need those people. And and really important in there is and and for me technology is a team sport so when we put those combinations of people together oh my goodness the things we can do are incredible and the things that we have done are incredible so yeah i love it now i get i I look at it and go oh more give me more (laughs) yeah so so thank you for that so that so i guess that was your kind of foray into ibm through Mm -hmm. acquisition uh, being part of a larger organization, rose through the ranks within that business uh, mm-hmm. up to the position you are now for CTF Technology Northern. Um, one of the things that is so paramount to uh, to 5B Podcast as, as, as the wider group, 5B Media, and, and of course, Five Values overarching business is um, sustainability and using tech for go- uh, for a force for good. You know, in fact, mm-hmm. sustainability is one of our one of our founding five values, right? And I know this resonates with you. And I, and I wondered if you could talk about that a little bit. I mean, what, what does sustainability when it comes to tech, what does that mean to you, Vicky? Yeah. And I mean, this is always the, the million dollar question, isn't it? And I think this is a, an interesting one because it means different things to everybody, for sure. And this, this I think, starts to be part of, the, part of the reason why we struggle with it a little bit. And I think really what it means to me is thinking about um you know we have finite resources we have um finite skills in fact so so you know the number of experts or the the amount of expertise that's out there and skill that's out there that's able to do certain things is limited we we have um this extraordinary planet that we live on which is just breathtaking and quite exciting in in what's out there and what's available and what's um possible but 
you know, there is no planet B and we have to look after it and we have to think about, okay, what is the impact of what we do? And so to me, this, this kind of sustainability piece has to translate into what is the impact of what we do and, um, and how do we ensure that the impact of what we do is not damaging? And I think this this always in my head a little bit is um, I always like to draw a parallel a little bit with the med with you know uh, the medical industries and and medicine. I mean, you know, you had the Hi- Hippocratic Oath from kind of 400 BC, which is first do no harm. And and for me, I think there's there's a piece of this where it's it's as simple as thinking about what we do, and and first of all trying to do no harm um but then it becomes much much bigger and i think it becomes about really thinking about okay you know what resources do we really have and and how do we use those in the way that's most effective and how do we make sure that we are just not using more than we need to because they're limited and how do we make sure that we are if we are using them, how are we recycling them and how are we bringing them um, back into service? Because one of the one of the big things I always have in the back of my head with technology is, I mean, if you if you just look at the last hundred years and, and just the acceleration and the 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 sheer change in our lives that has happened because of, of technology and and I would say, you know, how much better our lives are really as a as a as a, a, a byproduct of this acceleration of technology. But but the flip side in my head is always, yeah, okay. But we create we create more technology, and that consumes more um, resources. And some of those resources are very rare, and some of them are very um, dangerous, in fact. And um, to just use those resources, build new technology, discard those resources. We can't do that. We have to understand how do we get this? And, you know, we, people are talking a lot around circular economy. How do we, how do we use and reuse these resources effectively so that we don't have to keep um, pulling on finite resources? And, and how do we do that in a way that is clean and, um, and does no harm? And I, I think so for me, there's always a, a kind of thing in the back of my head, which is, OK, there's the whole range of sustainability. So, you know, look after our resources, make sure that we're not doing damage. But but there's always a piece of this which comes back to do no harm and really think about what is the impact of what you're doing? What's the impact on the environment? What's the impact on people? What's the imp- impact on whatever it is? Yeah, and I, and I think that mentality of do no harm, I think, is is a really poignant one, right? So what what is the benefit of what we're developing? What mm. problem does it solve? Um, and are we sure it isn't creating another problem? Yeah. Right? And, and I think, you know, if you can have those three ratchets when you're going out there to do anything, that's a really, really important one. And yeah. I think, you know, there's so many 
you know, use cases in so many scenarios in which we uh, have done some great things. And we, and we talk about IoT, we talk about IoT a lot in the past. And, you know, that tackles a lot of, a lot of challenges, a lot of issues. Um, but what is, what is the outcome from that? What is the long-term effects of that? Um, and, you know, for instance, in the, case, in the case of solar panels, right, and solar power, you know, that, that has its pros and its cons, right? And it's, and it's how we manage that and it's how, you know, we, we seek to make that more sustainable in the future especially when it comes mm -hmm. to recycling and stuff like this. Um, I wanted to talk about the Mayflower, if I could. Yeah. Uh, so the Mayflower is obviously very well known amongst IBM circles for, for people that don't know. Could you explain what the Mayflower is and, and what your involvement was with the Mayflower as well? Yeah, and I mean, I think the the key with this, and, and obviously this comes back to the sustainability question, um, but... I kind of have to back up a little bit and tell you the whole story because I okay. think the whole story is is really relevant when you start to think about your values. And um, so, obviously, uh, twenty twenty, and I'm just I'm just checking in my brain whether that's the right year actually. But um, <laughs> I, I always forget two years through the pandemic. It's just, <laughs> like the pretzel yeah, it just it just never really happened, um, right? <laughs> So, you know, you had the Mayflower that sailed from Plymouth in the UK to uh, Plymouth in the USA 400 years ago, carrying the pilgrims and, um, and you know, okay, there's a whole bunch of stuff in the back of that. But, but always when these anniversaries come up, you know, somebody somewhere wants to know, okay, how are we going to, um, uh, how are we going to celebrate this 400th anniversary? And, and quite often, particularly with ships, somebody says, oh, let's recreate the ship. Yeah. So that that kind of happens quite a lot. And in fact, in these discussions, there was a gentleman called Brett Fanouf, who is part of ProMare. And he kind of stepped up and said, well, look, you know, we did that. We did that 400 years ago. We know how to do ships. Um, but maybe what we should be thinking about is what's the Mayflower for the next 400 years? And so when you start to think about this and, and why I think the whole story becomes important is because we were talking a little bit about um, about really thinking about the impact of something that you do and really thinking about um, uh, what's the benefit and, and why do it. And, and so he was he was thinking, so what should the Mayflower look like for the next 400 years? And, and the original was built to solve a problem. Yeah, and okay, the perceived problem at the time. So what is the big problem that we're facing right now? And it is climate change. And obviously that has not on sustainability and, 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 but, but it's climate change. That's the big thing. And you, one of the big issues around climate change is we don't have the data to be able to really build the models to understand things um, enough to know what, what is the right, you know, if I, exactly to your point, if I push over here, what's affected over here? So if I, if I try and make an adjustment, what's the impact of that adjustment? So he was, his thinking was then, well, look, you have this huge ocean or these huge oceans that are the engine room for the planet and they are the engine room for climate. And so if we can't understand the ocean, we're kind of going to struggle a little bit with understanding climate and climate change. 
so his thinking was okay the the mayflower for the next 400 years should be about um trying to get more data about the ocean and trying to get that information that we desperately need to be able to do the right modeling and then really understand when i when i pull this this is what moves and so i shouldn't pull that <laughs> i should go over here and turn this instead and and so this was the the original thinking and so um IBM then got involved in that because if you're going to do this, one, you're going to have to deal with a massive amount of data for sure. Two, <clears throat> you've got an edge system, which really is somewhere right out in the ocean, may or may not have any kind of communication. And uh, three is um, going to, or sorry, let me say that slightly differently. And three you're going to want to jam full of as many instruments and measurements and sensors and whatever you can to gather as much data as you possibly can as fast as you can. And so that's where we got involved a little bit. And as part of that conversation, it, it, the, the, the thinking was, well, look, if you want to jam this full of technology, having people on board, you know, they take up a lot of space. They need food and bathrooms and occasionally they are expecting to go home and see their families and and that's kind of not in line with i need as much data as i can possibly get out of this huge ocean and of course you know being in the middle of the ocean is relatively dangerous so so how do we do this and i think what what they then came up with is okay can we get to a fully autonomous vessel which is jammed with all of the technology, jammed with all of the sensors, has all of the storage and all of the processing capability that it needs so that it can fully autonomously make its own decisions out in the ocean. And so uh, the team worked on it. And, and so this was a consortium of Promare with IBM with uh, a whole bunch of organizations and, and when you start to look into the experimentation there are a lot of universities involved there um, University of Liverpool for example which is my old university um, so there's a there's a lot of, there's a, a big consortium that worked on this but the thing for us that was really exciting was was all of the AI around making this ship autonomous so training it to understand what are the regulations that you need to follow? What do you do if you're out on the water and you see shipping containers? If there are shipping containers and other vessels and, and whales, what do you do? How do you act? Um, so fully autonomous vessel. She sailed from Plymouth in the UK to Plymouth in the USA um, first half of this year. So uh, you can go find the details on mass400.com. And, and you can see the you can see the making of you can see the journey from Plymouth to Plymouth, um, but but this is is fantastic for me and from from the perspective of tech for good because this is really saying okay how you know how can we do good here well we can do good by really learning as much as we can about the oceans and use all of that data to be able to to make good decisions and, and to, to really think about good decisions. 
But then from our perspective, what becomes really exciting is it, is it gives us the opportunity to test the automation and the autonomy really seriously. It gives us the opportunity to test the AI and the, the ability for autonomy. Um, and it really gives us a different view on how do you apply technology in these most complex environments to do these most um, complex things. So that, that's hugely powerful. And I think there were a few things that happened in there that were fabulous. Because if, if at one point, you know, she, she's going across the ocean and all of a sudden she stops and she backs up and she goes and, and takes herself off to the Azores. And a few people were saying to me, oh, no, 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 it's, you know, it's all gone wrong. It's like, no, no, she's done exactly what she was supposed to do. She's detected she's got a problem and she's gone somewhere to fix the problem. This is perfect. This is perfect behavior from the system. So, um, yeah, hugely powerful, hugely powerful um, project. And I think, you know, they're, they're pulling down all the data now and they're, and they're the uh, intention is that all of that data will be available and um, and open, which is is fabulous. Yeah. And I think that you know, this is kind of the MVP, the prototype. What you what you know you can see the natural progression of that, which is a fleet of these little things roaming the ocean, gathering data, bringing all of that data back. Um, and to the point on you know sustainability, the kind of experiments they've got on board are, are things like. Uh, a, a technical tongue for tasting the water to see what's the chemical composition of the water and uh, detectors that are looking for microplastics in the water so, so starting to really get an assessment of what microplastics are out there on the ocean and and how serious is that problem and where are the kind of hot spots and um, a whole bunch of things around temperature and salinity and, and, and all of those good readings that you can get from the ocean but there's another one in there that I think is so interesting. So they have an experiment on board, which is detecting whale song. And so really looking at whales. And this becomes really interesting because there's a piece of this where it's like, well, you know, whales are really good and we want to protect the whales. But there's a little wrinkle in here, which a lot of people don't think about. And I don't know if you, do you know what that is about whales and no. the on sustainability? No. So there's, is fabulous. There's recent research which is really pointing to the fact that whales are massive carbon sinks. Right. So the more whales you have in the ocean, the less carbon you have in the atmosphere. So if you can start to look at this and look at whale migration patterns and maybe divert shipping so it's not affecting whale migration and impacting whale populations and start to grow whale populations again you have a direct impact on carbon in the atmosphere wow how cool is that that's really cool yeah <laughs> that's incredible though right but i think you know that that's also an outcome of being involved in this project with it was pro was it promare the business that you're involved with promare promare yeah. yeah so i think being part being part of that and um you know the the the, the the website for for people that want to go and look at this again so it's mass mas 400.com i had a quick look earlier today and it's uh you know you can track it can't you, you can track the journey you can see lots of updates on you know yeah, various social media and on linkedin etc but i think in terms of 
you know, the MVP that you talk about, you know, being able to harvest information from uh, from the seas to better understand our planet is so paramount because for years people have said that we know more about space than we do our own seas. Yeah, exactly, you know? exactly. And that's always, um, yeah, and, and like I say, you know, it, 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 it's so essential mm. and, and this kind of direct link between whales and carbon, I mean, that's, that's yeah, slightly just, mind-blowing. It um, is. But, but this, I think, comes back to something that that i think becomes really important because this is this is a really interesting conceptual exercise because it's kind of would anybody until the research emerged how many people would really have thought okay maybe the solution to our carbon problem is more whales this 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 connection you know is is not something that you would necessarily think of and and for me that starts to come back to this idea of do you really understand the problem that you're trying to solve? Do you, do you really know what is the problem you're trying to solve and, and how is technology part of that solution and how do you fit that those things together? Um, I, 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 per, I personally feel for me, uh, I think having a focus on this and being able to understand it is, is the pri- is the primary concern and I, and I and I wonder whether or not all businesses have that kind of purpose led approach mm. because some of the some of the things that you've spoken about here um, and you've made you've made a quote and I'll read the quote for the benefit of the viewers and listeners it is not about how great the tech is but also how great we can be when we are backed by great tech and the technology mm. can be the answer but only if we truly understand the question mm. and I, and I think that's really poignant here as well because what 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 is what is the the MVP, right? What is the, the mission, the vision, and the purpose behind what we're trying to do? And I think that you can address that quite nicely, actually, it seems, and 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 mm. and kind of, you know, understand the question in order to derive the right answer. Mm. Um, yeah. And 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 clearly, this is something that you're quite passionate about. And the Mayflower's been quite well heralded in the press, and there's been a lot of news and a lot of information about that. Uh, other things on the horizon within IBM, other projects that you're working on in a similar vein to this. Um, other things um, in the pipeline. Uh, I, I mean, um, and I'm. I mean, there are there are so many going on, and the and the trouble is, I've kind of gone. Ooh, what can I talk about? Is there... uh, yeah, of um, course, <laughs> that you can talk about at least. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the to. Um, so so I kind of back up a little bit and 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 think about the. The reality. Let's let's take sustainability for example, or climate change, or all of those pieces. There are some fundamentals in there that we're working on really hard, and and regardless of the specific projects, they they go across multiple projects and and globally. But the kind of fundamentals in there are really around um, if you don't have good data, you are really going to struggle to understand how what the problem looks like. Yeah, and and so one of one of the big things that that is we're working on in a number of places is how do we get to that data, and and so this kind of um, ES, ESG data, better and better ways of getting to that um, ESG data. How can I access it? And I mean, to your point earlier about, and I think much earlier about sensors. How how can we sensor? How can we 
get sensors out there and how can we get the data back? How can we really use the kind of edge capabilities and, and um, think really about how do I get as much data as I possibly can? How do I get that to a place where I can really process it effectively? So how do I make sure that I can get the storage in the right place? Because quite frankly, there's just a big, you know, if I've just got a big load of data where I'm going to put it, and then really thinking about the the analytics around that and the, and the different projects that we have going on around, okay, well, great, now I've got a dirty great big box of data and what am I going to do with it? And, and then how do I extend all of that with AI to make sure, you know, because it is big and it is non-obvious. And I think that's that's something that we have to think about is how do I use AI to really get to understand, okay, what is going on? What am I really seeing? How do I ask the question effectively? Because I think to me, the, the big thing with understanding the problem is always and ask another question and peel it back and ask another question and ask a different question and ask a different question from a different perspective. And, and with this kind of scope and scale of data, you need the AI to be able to do that because it gets big. So I think so I think I would say that's a little bit where our focus is, is we're running projects across the globe, really, at the moment. But the focus is first, how do I get to the data? How do I how do I get that data in a place where I can really do the analysis? How do I apply the analytics? How do I extend that with AI so that I can really understand what is this data telling me? Um, And then all of the, you know, all of the infrastructure under that, how do I hook all of that together so that it's effective? And for sure, for us right now, a huge part of that, you know, I talked about Promare and the big consortium that was working on that. That for us right now is, is um, it's not just about us, let's put it that way. So, so our approach to all of this right now is, you know, and, and who else, who, what other technology companies, what other organizations, what other, who else is in that ecosystem and who else can feed data or feed systems or feed innovation into that? How do we, how do we hook all of this together so that we can, we can get to that, what really is the problem and then think about, okay, what really is the answer? Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I think that's a great strap line for this episode as well, actually. It's not just about us. <laughs> Right, yeah. uh, which I think is really, really important. Uh, we've spoken a lot in the past, certainly on the show, uh, around data, the importance of collecting mm. the right data, mm. timely, uh, using it for the right purposes, and also the interpretation of. And I think, you know, there's been a, a sea change, really, in the requirements around data science and the use of big data, certainly in the last five to 10 years, and people mm. taking it a lot more seriously and going back from a sensor point of view, you know, harvesting multiple points, you know, uh, to be able to derive an answer uh, to, to a question that you might have about, you know, where, where do we particularly head is really important. I think also from a uh, linking this back to some of the values that, that we hold as a, as a business, but also that you hold individually, obviously on behalf mm. of IBM, it's, it's a it's security and the authenticity behind that as well, right? Mm. Because I think sometimes, you know, with the wrong use of this data, it, it can lead mm. to disastrous, disastrous events, right? Uh, but but uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, no, and for sure. And I mean, I think this is something which we, 
I mean, I, I can't overemphasize how seriously we take that. And I think, you know, we have an entire practice dedicated to um, ethics and AI. And, and you know, one of one of my colleagues here in, in, in Amsterdam, she is the, uh, one of our newly minted distinguished engineers in that space. So her focus really is, is on how are we how are we using data and how are we using uh, that in combination with, with AI in a way that's ethical? How do we think about that? How do we uh, think about our policies? How do we support our clients thinking about our policy, their policies, sorry? Um, and, and how do we get them asking the right questions around, okay, I, and, you know, I can go do this. I've, I've got all this data. I could go do all these things. I could plug in all these systems, but should I? And and if I do, am I really, um, am I doing something that is going to lead to pain? And I'm going to cough one second. I'm really sorry. Um, I'm backing up a little bit. So, because, you know, for sure, when you start to look at, banks or insurance companies or anyone that's holding personal information or um you know just any information about people you've you've immediately got uh, an ethical question to answer and for sure regulation is is coming through thick and fast that that helps to support that and helps to make sure that we are our data is protected and it's used in a way that's effective but I think, and I'm, I'm sure you've probably talked about this in your podcast in the past, is once you start to play with AI, you know, you you immediately start to get some bias in your systems. Mm. And, and as soon as you've got bias in your systems, you are at risk of the answer to the question that's thrown out being something which potentially harms somebody. And, and not necessarily through any, like not by any conscious decision making, but just because you've thought about it from this perspective and it looks fine from this perspective, but you haven't thought about it from this perspective and from this perspective, it's damaging. And so, so this whole practice that we have around how are we, how are we ethical about our data and how are we ethical about our AI and how can we support our clients to think about that and understand that and, and use the technology to make sure that, that, they are um, not introducing unconscious bias and, and not introducing um, things which are potentially damaging. So, so there's, there's a, that is hugely important to us right now. And I think it should be hugely important. I mean, for sure it is globally hugely important, but I think it also should be something which um, we as any kind of provider, so whether we're a technology provider or a bank or an insurance company or, 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 I think we have to have this kind of muscle in our brains, which is, and have you thought about the ethics of this? And yeah. have you thought about the impact? If you do this and this is the answer, what is that going to do for this portion of the population? Yeah, and, and do you know what? Like, I'm totally with you on this, right? I, I really believe in it. I really believe that we all have to do something together, right? And you know, there's 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 lots of uh, op 
opinions on this around, you know, have we have we gone too far when it comes to climate change already, so on and so forth. But if we can't just not do anything from a wider from a wider context, what what do you think are the barriers to to big business, right, and to people actually asking those questions? You know, is it all just around? you know, instant profit for businesses? Do you think this is why they don't answer these questions? Or, you know, being able to have people think about the outcome of those actions, you know, what what kind of mindset shifts, you know, do we need to make for people to actually realise that they need to do this, right? You know? Mm. Yeah, and I do think this is a tricky one. And I think this is always a tricky one because, um, and I mean, I, you know, my experience, your experience of most organizations is they are trying to do the right thing in the wrong mm. way. Okay, you get the occasional exception, but most are trying to do the right thing in the right way. And I think one of the one of the um, issues for sure is it feels big and complex and, and working out where to start is the hardest thing. And I mean, we all know that. We know that from, from our own, you know, from an organizational perspective, but from our own personal experience, the hardest the hardest thing to do when you do anything is start. And and so there's a piece of this, I think, which is there is so much that you could do and should do. And and but so where is the where do I start? What's the first step? Um and then I think coming all the way back to the 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 start of this this conversation you know okay let's say we we want to do something with sustainability well okay but what do you mean by sustainability yeah because for you this you know for your organization for organization a it might mean some one thing and for organization b it might mean something else and i I think to your to your question i think the single most important thing is to start and it's just to pick a pick a thread you know pick one pick a thread and start and and for sure you know if you are if you're doing a massive amount of data processing and ai and analytics with data that is potentially personal maybe you should start with ai and ethics you know that so it's it's find the find those those threads and i you know you put together those strategic goals but make them real and make them executable within your organization and and not not look at the whole thing and kind of get that analysis paralysis piece where it looks huge and i don't know where to start just yeah. start yeah. yeah and talk to the experts you know we have we have experts there are experts all over the place who can help but but find that find that how do i start yeah and i think and I think that that's that's really important, right? You know, mm-hmm. identification that this is something that you need to do and find, finding a start because, you know, it may not be much, but at least it's something. And, mm-hmm. and the start can often dictate other aspects, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here in the UK, for our UK listeners and viewers, uh, you know, we have people lobbying against a better business act at the moment, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, to produce an impact report actually what your company does alongside just your standard profit and loss and general accounts and I, and I think that that's important and I think yeah. that you know I think moving forward that there is a duty of care that a business has mm. and how it interacts and uh, and I think there is a general wave of consciousness around this it seems mm. and, and rightly so uh, maybe it's taken more time uh, to get there uh, 
but equally at least we are here now right mm. and so so even you know even if there's been a couple of kind of people that have not seen the benefits of it then then really it's down to us to, to show and highlight this and this is what we hope to do in this podcast yeah. and equally with, with some of the work that you're doing um yeah no, i think i mean i think that's key i think one of the things is just keep asking the question mm. just ask the question and ask the question and ask the question and i think you know find the thread and keep banging the drum and um yeah it's not magic it's work and i I think that's also a piece of it which is it is work and and we kind of have to do the work um but that's also the fun bit yeah yeah but it is what you make it right i mean Hmm. you've 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 obviously spoken at events when we were off off screen earlier before the podcast you talked about the women in technology event you did in amsterdam recently uh you know and and, it, and it's lovely to see someone so passionate about this. I mean, how how can we help drive you know this innovation forward, right? You know, what 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 can that look like in terms of diversity representation as well, right? Because mm-hmm. I think that's a that's a big topic and, and something that the technology industry has, has suffered with in the past, right? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, what what do you think are some steps that, that companies could make, and given the steps that IBM have made and your personal journey to help balance mm-hmm. this. Yeah, and I think there are a few there are a few things in there, and and um, one thing, and I know it's one of your values is inclusivity, mm. and um, you know I, I think one of again one of our big passions is it's fine if you build a diverse team, but if you're not then inclusive, you haven't changed anything in fact, and and why I think that's so important is because you know I, I've talked a lot about. You can only get you can only kind of get to the right solution if you ask the questions and you keep asking the questions and you keep looking from different perspectives and so diversity in teams is essential to that because what you want what you really want to drive good innovation is someone who kind of sits there and goes yeah but did you think of this did you even think you know did you did you think of this at all um because they have a different experience and a different view. And so they do see the world differently. And and so there's, there's kind of the fundamental, which is I firmly believe that you don't get to, to good solutions if you don't have that diversity in teams. Um, or you might get to a good solution, but it's going to be a good solution for a small percentage of the population. And exactly as we talked about before, it might be a good solution over here, but what's the effect over here? I don't know. Um, so you have to have that diversity of teams, but but you have to foster that inclusivity because you have to have the ability um, or the opening for, you know, the new graduate who's never worked before and and is half the age of everybody else in the room and doesn't have the confidence and doesn't have the experience to be able to say, but what about this thing? Yeah, and, and to have the, the the space to make the comment and ask the question. So so that for us is huge, is, okay, diversity is nice, but without inclusivity, you, you've not gained anything. Um, and then I think, I mean, uh, to me, this, this uh, uh, I'll back away from that statement and start from a different position. I start, when I started in engineering, I was one of two women who graduated in a class of 100 people. Wow. So, yeah, so my whole, 
my whole engineering career has been me in a room with a whole bunch of guys and um and i've had some quite interesting experiences with that but also i've had a lot of people who were allies and who have given me the scope to speak up and have um and have supported me if if things have gone in you know perhaps not gone in quite the right direction who have helped me and so i think there is a big piece of this about allyship which is part of inclusivity and really important but i also think and and a, a very personal observation is we still haven't quite worked out how to encourage girls to get more into technology and i i think you know there's always going to be an issue if we if we can't get girls excited about this they don't go to university and do technical um qualifications and therefore they never get into technology roles and and this to me is such a it's such a waste of talent but it's also um it's disadvantaging huge piece portions of the population who could have really good careers and and do the most amazing things who kind of never get that opportunity to do it and that that to me is a shame so so i think we we still have to be working on how do we make sure that girls in schools are not put off being good at maths and getting into technology and going and doing stem and and going and doing exciting things with tech. yeah and, and and thank you for sharing that i mean that you know that that's that's hopefully something that we can help do within this podcast, uh, something that you are passionate about in events that you've spoken about. But I think also, you know, when I've spoken about this in the past, um, I think it really goes back to, um, probably back, I would say, actually, to kind of A-levels, right? So I remember mm. when I was at school, you know, you had uh, classes around and, and, and discussions around what you might study at university or if university was right mm. for you, right? Um, but it, but it's rather than the kind of classics kind of talking about technology and so on. And I think, and I think to a degree, because technology has become so much more um, centric to our lives, I think, I think it's probably helped in some respect actually open people's eyes mm. to that. Um, but I know there's been certain initiatives, initiatives out there. Um, Cody Kloss, for instance, Code with Cody, she's done very well, famous US mm. figure and got people, uh, young girls into coding, etc. So I think, I think there are things out there that have started to gain traction. Um, mm. But I think also, again, I'm going to be quite fairly abstract with, with my comment here, but I think when, te when technology evolves, so you have the ability to code in more no-code ways. And so the barriers to entry become less prevalent, then I think you'll see a bigger influx. Because I think if you think about it from a simplistic sense, you know, I, I, I studied embedded engineering, you you did an engineering degree. You have to be of a certain mindset to understand that, mm -hmm. right? And you also have to get past certain, uh, you know, complex and technical challenges. So I think when technology can evolve in itself so that people can program in a way which they don't have to learn the syntax of very complicated languages as well, which I think we are kind of on, on route to in, in, in some degree. I think that would also help somewhat as well, right? But in general, not just women, but I think more people into the industry. Mm -hmm. Because we need, when we started this podcast, you spoke about obviously 
nurturing talent and the lack of talent that we would have right and mm-hmm. i and i think and i think that perhaps would help right and maybe that's just my view on it well and i think i mean you hit a po- important point because there is a tendency for everybody to you know there's always a diversity discussion and it tends to be about men and women mm. and that's not diversity that's binary mm. you know diverse, diversity's really got to be actually diverse and um and so and and exactly as as you said you know we we have a skills gap and mm. actually we just need more people in technology mm. um and i think there is a, a piece of it which is um still the old kind of you know well oh, engineering is is this or that or the other and it and and the thing that i try to talk about is and going back to the this this uh, acceleration that's gone over the last hundred years but if you look at the acceleration in technology in the last two years with covid and how digitization has run rampant and i mean there are different uh, measures out there but it's kind of you know um some of them are kind of six six seven or eight years of of um progression made within two years and if you look at the fact now or if you look at that period and where children were going to school via you know webex or the you know some kind of uh platform and people were doing their shopping via their apps and um, really having to use technology personally at home in a way that probably you and I would have done, but not my grandmother or everybody's children, you know, that technology would not have been embedded in their lives in that way. And I'm slightly hoping that what that does is brings home and and i think this is an important thing that when we work in the industry we understand technology touches all of our lives all of the time i mean um and i mean i heard a a statistic i've no idea if you if you have a an idea of how many times you touch an ibm system in a day any idea it's like it's yeah i mean average person every single day on the planet touches one of our systems 30, 30 times a day. Wow. You have no idea, you've no clue when you're booking air, you know, air tickets or, or using a credit card or there's a whole bunch of things where you're touching one of our systems. And, and that level of technology embedded in your life, it's so important that everybody in society is represented in uh, in shaping that technology and shaping what that that world looks like i'm i'm really hoping that this 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 shortened period where people are much more aware of technology and much more involved in technology is going to drive more people to understand this is shaping our world and actually it's not about whether i want to be an engineer or not it's about that i want to be a full partner in shaping the world and shaping the future of our world wow you're powerful when you say it like that, but it's so true, isn't it? You know, yeah. it is because you know every 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 business is going to be a, a technology business in the same way it'd be a media business as well, right? You know, one of the reasons why you know Five Valleys is so committed to producing stories and amplifying voices of people in the industry is because we know that you know to do that to for people to know who you are, you need to be doing those types of things, right? Yeah. And to be involved in technology, you need to be involved in, in that as well, right? So uh, I think I think that's a that's an amazing 
an amazing stat as well. Thirty times to touch an IBM machine is it, pretty. It's pretty. It's pretty impressive, right? Uh, because I think I, I, it reminds me of the Apple stat. You know, when uh, people said how many times you touch your phone in a day, and it's something ridiculous, like five hundred mm. times or something like that. You know, that's uh, it. You know, but 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 it, it's more impressive because it will be a, a plethora of different devices and things that mm. you use that IBM has been involved with. Uh, which is, which is staggering. Yeah, no, and that, I mean, that's the thing is, you know, you know, you've, you know, you've touched your Apple, you know, you've touched your Microsoft, Hmm. but, but all of the, there's all of this stuff under the hood that's happening in the background and, and it shapes, it shapes our world. Yeah. Uh, And, um, yeah, that's, that's what I, that's what I like, like to kind of get into people's heads is, be part of this because this is shaping the world this is the future and it's happening now and i mean this whole you know we we talked about the mayflower earlier nothing on that okay the experiments were new all of the technology on there to run you know for the ai captain to run for the data for the analytics that all exists we can do it today it's not science fiction it's here we can do it um so yeah it's i mean if i could say anything to any you know little kids out there is get involved it's really exciting stuff yeah you can do amazing i, I think that's a, and i think that's a, a perfect way to wrap up the podcast actually i think you know be involved in technology you can shape in your world not only your world your children's world and so on and so forth mm. right uh, Vicky, it's been an absolute pleasure. Before we go, I've got some quick fire questions for you. Just a few. Okay. I want to know your thoughts on them. Um, what would be the single most important piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? Oh yeah, you're doing fine. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Fine. I didn't think you'd say that, but that's lovely. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, yeah, and and if I was to, um. Because I think we all do that. We all doubt ourselves and we all question whether you're doing the right thing or not. And mostly you are. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's that's lovely. Um, thoughts on the metaverse? Good thing, bad thing? Mm. <laughs> yeah, I might pass. I might pass on that's that. That's okay. I think that says everything. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Um, last one. Who's your biggest inspiration in your professional career and why? Oh, um, you know, I always find this a really difficult one because, um, I, so there's a, there's a piece of it, which is always my dad. Um, but there's also a piece of it, which is, it's, you know, you have you have all these these big names and these big faces and these big people who are out there, but the people who always inspire me are, for example, like these Promare guys who just went, we should do something different. Let's go do something different. Let's go find a way to do that. And and so the the real inspirations for me are actually all of those people who are out there just thinking slightly differently and trying to do something slightly different and trying to change the world for the better and trying to get to tech for good and and trying to deliver good technology and and just really thinking every day how do i how do i make this work for the world those are the people that inspire me the most and it's not always the big names it's the it's the the 
the guy in the office three doors over who's been sitting there for hours just trying to work out how do I how if I code this like this I could I could do something just amazing how do I do that mm. so yeah yeah that's 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 lovely and and, and and do you know what that you find that sometimes in the tech world in the open source world you think about open source technology right and mm. and, and the premise of it you know people that are really truly selfless and I think you know it's quite mm. uh you know it, it, it's quite humbling actually isn't it right yeah yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Vicky, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on to the 5B podcast. You've been excellent. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, spoken passionately about a number of subjects. It's been really interesting to know exactly what IBM's been up to and, and will will continue to do in the future. So thank you for coming on to the show. And thank you very much for having me. It's been really fun. And um, I can't wait to see the whole series. It's going to be great. Uh, and Vicky, where can we find out more about IBM, I assume, uh, on the internet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, you can find us at um, www.ibm.com, yeah. Um, uh, but you also find, if you if you go look for This Is IBM, and you will find all of the stories that we have around things like uh, Wimbledon and um, uh, plastic... Uh, um, plastic projects removing plastic from the oceans and I, it's there's a whole raft of, of really great inspirational stories there that talk more about what we actually do um i mean you can always follow me on at the bunyard although i will admit i've been a little bit quiet over the summer um you've opened up the floodgates and, now vicky yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but for sure, this is IBM is a, is a really good place to start because then you see those inspirational projects and you see what we do out in the world. And, and then you'll start to see where those 30 connections are coming from. Okay, excellent. Thanks, Vicky. 